Man, good morning, everybody. How are you? Today's week one of uh, the NFL, right? Eagles are playing the uh, Redskins. I'm a Giants fan. Giants are playing the Cowboys. I saw a Cowboys fan back there, right there. I can't believe it. Yeah, can't believe it. Can't believe it. Man, you know, uh, it had me thinking, great sports wins. Uh, great sports wins always have these signature plays that we remember them by, right? They have these signature plays that we remember them by, and I was going through my vast inventory of uh, memories of football games and great football games. Uh, man, Freddie Mitchell, 4th and 26, came to mind. You guys remember that? Now, I'm, I'm not getting any reaction from Eagles fans. That was a huge play, Freddie Mitchell, 4th and 26, Man, Deshaun Jackson's miracle in the Meadowlands against the Giants, that punt return, game-defining play. You guys remember that? Can you guys name another game-defining play in Eagles history? I'm thinking of one right now. It just happened a couple years ago. Philly special. Philly special, right? I'm a Giants fan, as I told you guys, so I'll share with you a couple of my game-defining plays. Like 2008, uh, the helmet catch by David Tyree in the Super Bowl, right? You guys remember that? No, some of you don't. Mario Manningham, 2010 Super Bowl beats the Patriots, that amazing catch, right? These game-defining plays. Guys, today's scripture is that. Today's scripture is a game-defining play. This is like God's Philly special. This scripture today is like God's Philly special. This is a game-defining play in God's redemptive uh, story, his redemptive plan for humanity. This chapter we're going to go through is a seminal chapter in scripture. It's a game-defining text that sets everything up that we see in the Bible. You know, when I personally studied this text several years ago, it brought me to another place that I needed to go with God. Several years, I wasn't there yet. Like, God, I'm understanding you, and I, I get this, sort of, but there's something I'm missing. There's something that I'm missing. And when I studied this text several years ago, it brought me to a place that I needed to be with God that I wasn't yet. That I wasn't yet. You know, this past winter, our church walked through uh, uh, this sermon study in the life of Abraham. That's where we're going to be today. This uh, chapter in the life of Abraham, and the series was called uh, Crossover. It was called Crossover. And really, to, to help you understand that, to save the world from sin, God had to be born into the world in Christ. God had to be born in the world in Christ. So to do that, he had to start a lineage, right? To, to, be, to be born into a world, you got to be born by people. And to do that, you have to start a lineage, which means you have to start somewhere, you got to start somewhere. So where, where does God start? Where does this lineage start? Where does this lineage to Jesus start? Abraham. Abraham. Abraham is the first Hebrew person. He's the first Jewish person. He's the first Hebrew person, and that word Hebrew means to cross over. It means to cross over. It means to traverse, to travel it means to cross over. God is taking Abraham and his wife and his nephew, these normal people, just like you and me, on this journey. 
He's taking them on this journey, and they're called to cross over each step of the way. They're called to cross over from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. To cross over from an old way to a new way. From an old way to a new way. From an old life to a new life. From an old life to a new life. From Abraham's way to God's way. Each step of the way, they're called to cross over. Man, and we see a bit, and when you read the story of Abraham, you see a man and his family just like us. They sin, they fail, they have some successes. But man, it is messy. It is, and this is the father of faith. Abraham. It is messy. They sin, they fail, they struggle. And in the middle of it all is God's faithfulness. In the middle of it all is God's faithfulness and his provision. This sermon is called, He's Good For It. He's good for it. Can you guys just say, He's good for it? Because when you say something, that's when it really kind of comes to the heart. He's good for it. God is good for it. Say it again. Get it in the heart. He's good for it. He's good for it. Keep saying it. Not now. We're good. We're good now. A couple times is fine. Tonight, when you go home, he's good for it. He's good for it. God promises salvation. He promises salvation if we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He promises it. He's good for it. He's good for it. He promises his presence. He promises his provision in our life. He's good for it. He's good for it. But man, rarely do we act like it. Rarely do we live like it. Rarely do we live like it. Rarely do we operate with this lens because we so often forget. We so often forget. We easily forget. But man, we need a marker. We need a marker that reminds us that God is good for it. We need a marker that reminds us that God is good for it. And that's what we're going to get today, just a marker. A marker that I didn't have for a long time and now... I have. You may not have it. Because I think there's some of you in here right now. You think he's good for it in your head, but in your heart, you don't believe it. In your head, you're saying it. But in your heart, it's not in your heart. And it's my prayer that today, that you're reminded that God is good for it, and that you leave here, and your life just changes for it. That the needle is moved. So here's the text. We're going to get into Genesis chapter 15. We're going to get into Genesis chapter 15. Love the new TV on the back wall. That wasn't there when I was here. You guys are just killing it on the technology. I love it. Where was that when I was here? I, even, I wore a black shirt today because I thought Keith would wear a black shirt. So, of course, the day I wear a black shirt, he wears a white shirt. <laughs> Trying to be like you, Keith. Oh, man. Genesis 15, um, just some context, some context for this, really. It's been 20 years uh, since God called Abraham to himself, and he, uh, he makes these astonishing promises to Abraham. He's commanded to leave everything, but 
He's promised to gain everything. He's commanded to leave everything, but he's promised to gain everything. And he's promised uh, all this land. He's promised all these descendants. All of these descendants he's promised. He's, an entire nation of people is going to come from Abraham. An entire nation of people, Israel. Israel will come from Abraham. And from that nation will come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus will come from his descendants. But all God's promises required that he have a son. All the promises required that he have a son. And of course, God picks the one thing that they can't do. (laughs) Of course. The one thing they can't do, God has to pick that. And this is how I'm going to do it. He's going to pick the one thing they can't do. They can't have a son. His wife, Sarah, is barren. She can't have a son. Abraham, you know, because of age, he just can't, can't make it work. <laughs> just can't make it happen. Can't do it. Of course, God has to go there. Nevertheless, Abraham and his family, they pick up everything and they leave. They leave. They follow God. They, they, they listen to him and they follow. There were some reservations but they picked up and they left their home to go where called them, where God called them, which was Canaan. And as they waited for the sun, man, as they, they were waiting for the sun, they mess up, man. They mess up. They struggle with their sin, right? The famine comes and they go to Egypt. They shouldn't have done that. Abraham went against God's call to go to Canaan, to stay in Canaan. And then instead, the famine comes and they go to Egypt. Abraham lies and he gets his wife caught basically in a prostitution ring, a.k.a. Pharaoh's harem. That's basically a prostitution ring. Gets his wife caught in this. God bails them out. After this, uh, his nephew Lot gets them uh, into a war. They get into a war. Abraham has to bail out Lot. Abraham's little army beats up four giant armies, right? Right? So that, that's kind of where we're at. That's where we're at right here. And he's experiencing the trauma of battle. All of these things that's going on. If, if I'm Abraham, listen, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, what is going on? This is crazy. This is nuts. Is this what you called me to? Man, is this what you called me to? Cleaning up my nephew's messes? I'm just struggling with my own sin. Why have you chosen me? I'm cleaning up my nephew's messes. You told me you would give me a son and it hasn't happened yet. You told me all of this. This is crazy. This is bonkers. We're not getting any younger. Where is the son? What is next? What is next? And then Abram becomes keenly aware that he's not alone. He becomes keenly aware that he's not alone. God's presence is in his midst. And he has this intimate, formative moment with God. And that's what this scripture is. It says this, starting in verses 1 through 3. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? 
And the one who will inherit my estate is a leaser of Damascus. That's basically what he's saying. That's who's going to inherit this, my estate. And Abram said, you have given me no children. That's what I want. You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram blurts out his deepest fear to God leaving this life without any physical descendants of his own. Abraham appreciated the promise from God, but at the same time, there was a sense in which it sounded empty to Abraham. You guys ever feel like God's promises in Scripture feel empty to you? Like you read it on paper, and I, I know you're saying that, but they just feel empty to you. It was as if Abraham was saying, what good is the land? What good is the land? What good is a nation? What good are these things? I didn't ask for these things. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this land. I don't care about this land. I didn't ask for this. I don't care about this nation. I just want a son. My wife wants a son. Is that such a big deal? We want kids. We want kids. What good is it that you're my shield or my reward? The only thing I've ever wanted in my life is a son. Where is he? God began a good work in Abraham, but it didn't feel like it to him. It didn't feel like it to him. Do God's promises ever feel empty to you? Do they ever feel empty to you? Your life isn't matching up to what you read of his promises. Do you ever think, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. Whatever it is that's happening in your life, some struggle, some disappointment, I didn't sign up for this. This is not how it's supposed to go. This is not how it's supposed to go. This is not how I envisioned for this to go. I didn't ask for this. This doesn't feel like a good work. Man, what God gives us is rarely something that we ever ask for. Rarely, this struggle or this disappointment. But that struggle or disappointment may be the means to God's great purpose in your, life, God, in your lifetime. God was working out his greatest purpose for Abram and humanity through Abram's deepest disappointment. His deepest disappointment. So what happens? Verse 4 through... Six, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. That's one of the most significant verses in all of Scripture. Verse 6. This is the silver bullet. This is the silver bullet that we're all looking for. He counted it to Abraham as righteousness, his faith. Abraham didn't claim to know how God will fulfill his promise. He accepted the promise in faith and trusted God. That's it. Not a strategy or a checklist. Because of his faith, God declared him as righteous. He was right with God, acceptable by God's standards because of his faith. Imperfect faith, 
up and down faith. It was his faith. Abraham didn't suddenly become a morally excellent person. Far from it. Whoa, far from it, as you read his story. He didn't all of a sudden become a morally perfect person. He would sin again. He would sin again. This affirmation doesn't come after some achievement of Abraham's. No, Abraham is at a low point. Abraham is weak. Abraham is weak. He's, in, he's fearful. He's doubting. He's tired. He's tired. He's home from battle. He's like, what is going on? He's doubting. Abraham was clinging to his faith by his fingernails, and his belief is so imperfect, but he believes. But he believes. So God says, verse 7 and 8, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. God's about to just like run on some, like some awesome thing here. And then Abraham just, just blurts in. God is going. He's going. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? He stops God in his tracks, the nerve of Abraham. Stop God from talking. How can I know? That's a question we all ask, is it not? Man, how can I know? How can I know? My life is a mess. I'm a basket case. And you're saying these things. How can I know? How can I know that this is all leading to something good? How can I know that this is all leading to something, that thing that you're saying it's going to lead to? Abram wants some kind of assurance. He wants some kind of certainty of God's promises. Who doesn't want assurance of salvation? Who doesn't want these things? Who doesn't want certainty of God's promises and his provision? Who doesn't want assurance? Who doesn't want certainty that this garbage happening in my life is going to lead to something good? God's like, okay, all right, let's settle this matter. God's like, let's settle this matter. I hear you. I hear you. Let's settle this matter right now. God's like, I'm going to give you a tangible marker a tangible marker, something that you can put in your pocket that you can have to go back to when you're not feeling faithful and something where you can know that I am God and I will fulfill my promises. Scripture says in verse 9 and 10, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. What the heck? God, what are you doing? Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not cut in half. I'd be like, I'd be like whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not trying to like start a butcher shop here, God. What are you... What? What is this? 
What is this? Abram knew, though, that according to the custom of his time, God told him to get a contract ready. To get a contract ready to be signed. Because that's how it was back then. You know, today we like sign contracts with a signature and we we notarize it and then we put it in a courthouse. Like 6,000 years ago, the way you did a contract was you get a bunch of animals and you cut them up and there's blood everywhere and you, you put them uh, apart from each other and then, like, and then the, everybody, the, the, the two parties walk through the animal parts. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's just how they did it back then. That's how they did it back then. Split carcasses lying on the grounds, just nasty. Gross. And the covenant was made when both parties to the agreement, they walked through the animal parts together. Both parties. So scripture continues, Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. As Abram waited for the Lord to appear and walk through the carcasses with him, God didn't come right away. You know, Abraham's just waiting. He, kn- he knows what's happening, this contract, and he's, oh, okay, I see what's going on. I'm going to have to walk through all these parts together with God because that's what you do. So he's waiting, and as evening came, God had not yet appeared to walk through the animal parts with Abraham. No, he actually waits until Abraham passes out. God actually may have made him fall asleep. He it's like spiritual ambient. He waits until he passes out. <laughs> God is... And at first glance, he seems to be cooking. A smoking fire pot. What is, go- what is this? He seems to be cooking, but he's not cooking. God passes through the parts by himself. God passes through the parts by himself. He's like, I'm not cooking. I'm promising. I'm not cooking. I'm promising. God alone signs the covenant. God alone signs the covenant. And that, my friends... That, my friends, is the grace of God. That, my friends, is the cornerstone of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God alone signs this covenant. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of the cross. You know, one of my, uh, I love Marvel movies. I think about every sermon I preach, I, I preach a Marvel preach about Marvel movie. So in these Marvel movies, one of the reasons why I love these Marvel movies is really any movies. Before I became a Christian, I didn't really love movies that much, but when I became a Christian and started learning about the gospel, I was watching all these movies, and there are so many gospel references in movies. You have no idea. 
So when somebody is screaming and yelling and excited about Thor beating up a giant Shatari robotic dinosaur flying through the air, when I hear a gospel message in a Marvel movie, I'm like, yes! Yes! There's the gospel! Well, you guys know uh, Black Widow? You guys know Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, Natasha Romanoff. They all have so many names. Well, she has this famous line where she says, I've got red in my ledger. I've got red in my ledger. And I'm trying to wipe it out. I'm trying to wipe it out. And her character arc in all of the movies is her basically trying to balance her ledger from red to black. She's done many things wrong. She's done many things wrong, and she's trying to take her ledger from red to black. And that's what her story is throughout all of these movies. Saving the world, killing bad guys, constantly just trying to get her ledger from red to black. And every time she helps save the world, she steals, she still feels it's not enough. She still feels it's not enough. And then you get to Avengers Endgame, which is like that last movie, right? I'm going to spoil the heck out of this. You get to Avengers Endgame, and she confronts the moment that she believes will finally balance her ledger. She has to sacrifice herself. And she does. She dies. She sacrifices herself. She believes this is it. This is what will do it. This is what will balance my ledger. You know, Marvel gets the problem right. A lot of times, Hollywood gets the problem right. We do have a red ledger. Man, we have done wrong. We have sinned. We have red on our ledger. But what they get wrong is, is the solution. It's us who can balance our own ledger. It's us. But no, it's God. And it's only God. God alone signs this covenant. God alone walks through those animal parts. It's God and God alone. He puts all the responsibility of the covenant on himself. All of the terms are on him. All of the terms are on him. How can we know that God's promises are sure? The cross. The cross. On the cross, the Lord, the Lord cut the final and ultimate covenant, and it's settled. It's once and for all. That's our marker. The cross. That's our marker. Jesus is the blood sacrifice through which God promises that we have salvation. You believe in this, I promise you, you will be with me in paradise. I promise you. This means to Abram and us that our salvation and provision are not based on our performance. This whole covenant thing with the animal parts, and he walks through it by himself. It's not based on our performance. As much as we want to walk through those animal parts with God, don't lie. You want to walk through those animal parts with God. We all do. You want to. You want to sign that covenant. You want to be a co-signer. We all do. Jesus is on that cross alone. He is by himself on that cross. We're not on that cross with him. 
Jesus is on that cross alone. We don't co-sign. We can't balance the ledger. The certainty of God's promises is based on who God is, not on who Abraham is, not on what Abraham does. It's on God. When we're a co-signer, man, when we're a co-signer, we never have assurance of salvation. We never have that peace because we're basket cases. We're basket cases. I'm not good for it. I'm not good for it. There's times, will be many times, when we don't feel strong in our faith. Our feelings rise and fall. Our feelings rise and fall. Obedience wavers. And listen, despite my amazing looks and my hulky physique that my wife enjoys, I know I look good. Half the time, I'm a total basket case. I am a total basket case. I am weak. I am fickle. I wrestle with sin on the daily. If I'm a co-signer of this, I do not know. I have no certainty, no assurance, no peace, no freedom. No peace, no freedom. When we're a co-signer and I mess up in sin, I get anxious, I get angry, I'm harsh with people. When I'm the co-signer, I'm overly harsh with people. When we're a co-signer, because I have to measure up, I expect others to measure up, and when they don't measure up, I come down hard on them. It kills our relationships. It kills our relationships. Peace comes from freedom. Freedom comes from assurance and certainty. Grace leads to transformation. This peace, this freedom, leads to transformation. As you read Abraham's story arc, he's not good for it. He's up and down. He's just like you and me. The father of faith. The most popular Jew in the world. He is up and down and he messes up just like you and me. God wasn't Abraham's shield or his great reward because he earned it or deserved it, but simply because of his faith, no matter how weak it could be, no matter how weak it could be, no matter how bad he messed up, he believed. The temperature of his belief didn't matter. Big faith, little faith, it didn't matter. A relationship with God is not based on what we do or our ability to put on a good face. You like that? Or how we feel. But on the certainty of God and his character. He signs the covenant alone. We don't. He walked through those animal parts. He didn't, Abraham. Jesus was on that cross alone. We're not on that cross. All of it is on Jesus. God was saying to Abraham, I'm good for it. I'm good for it. 
I'm good for it. And on the cross, on the cross, he's saying, I'm good for it. I'm good for it. And this is how we cross over in our lives. This is how we cross over in our lives.